My name is Joe. I'm the lead pastor here uh, at Providence. And welcome to this gathering of Providence Baptist Church. Uh, I want to invite you to grab your Bible if you have one and make your way to 1 Peter chapter 5. If you don't have one, there should be one somewhere around you. Um, grab that. I think we're going to be on page 568. It's in my notes. I'll see it in a minute. But um, uh, And if you don't own one, definitely grab that one and take it home with you. It's our gift to you. We are in the midst of a series on the church. Uh, in particular, seeking to answer the question, how is the church to be led? How is it to be structured? What is that to look like? And so we've been talking a little bit about elders for the last uh, couple of weeks. And for my friends in here who maybe are not yet believers in Jesus or maybe don't have a whole lot of background in the church, when you hear elders and you hear councils and you hear stuff like that, you may automatically start thinking of like Jedis and Padawans and that sort of stuff with a council. And that's not necessarily bad. Rogue One's coming out pretty soon. I'm looking forward to that. We'll have a men's night uh, as part of that. But if you don't think of that, then maybe you think of, of, of guys who ride around on mountain bikes with a backpack on and have white shirts and a black tie and they come and knock on your door and tell you some really crazy stuff. And they wear little things that say Elder Smith or Elder Young. Um, talking about Mormonism, you hear, you know, elders for that. Maybe that's what you think about when you first hear the word elder. But biblically speaking, elders are neither of those two things. Elders, in a nutshell, are pastors. It's just a synonym. In the Bible, you've got three major Greek words, presbyteros, Episcopos and poimen that all reflect the idea of elder, pastor, overseer, bishop, shepherd. All those things are synonyms for the one office of elder, pastor, whatever word you want to use there. Two biblical offices that are clearly seen. Pastor, elder, overseer, bishop, shepherd, and deacon. All right. Pastor, bishop, elder, overseer, bishop leads the church, deacons serve the church. That's the pattern of the New Testament. And elders are to exist in a plurality in a local church. But just practically speaking, I mean, we've kind of covered those things. What, what is it then that elders do? As an elder, what, what is it that I'm supposed to do? What is my job? And you, some of you may think, I just sit over there and I pray all week long. It's not, not I wish that it could be more of the case. That's not, what do we do? What do, what do your current elders, John and Chad and myself do? And if you guys vote in the future to bring on lay elders as well, what will they do? What will that look like when the rubber hits the road? If we are an elder-led, deacon-served, congregationally governed church, what, what will that look like when the, what do the elders do? That's what we're going to talk about out of 1 Peter 5 today. So if you have your Bible open to that, page 658, let's read that together. 1 Peter chapter 5, page 658 around you. The Apostle Peter writes this, and note, he does not call himself an apostle here. He calls himself an elder. At the beginning of the book, he calls himself an apostle, but here he calls himself an elder. Here we go, chapter 5, page 568. So I exhort the elders among you, that's that word presbyteros, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed Shepherd, that's the word poimen, he's using it as a verb here. Shepherd, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. That's episkopos, but again, he's using it as a verb here, not a noun. Shepherd, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. 
not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so number one, if you're going to be taking notes uh, in your little sheets that we gave you, number one, elders shepherd the flock of God. That's the first thing we see here. Elders shepherd the flock of God. Verse two, shepherd the flock of God. I'm very creative with our outline. That's what it says. Elders shepherd the flock of God. That's what they what they do. And so what does that look like? John chapter 21, when Jesus is restoring Peter after he's uh, denied Jesus, he asked him several times, hey, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my flock. That's what shepherds do. They, they feed the flock. That's, that's what shepherding looks like. They feed the flock. They guard the flock. They tend the flock. They pray for the flock. So let's just talk about feeding for just a moment. If you don't eat, this is not rocket science. If you don't eat, what happens? You die. If you're, if you're not fed, you die. That's when Eden was born. That's why I had to put a, uh, a G-tube in because she could not eat. She would die. So we put a G-tube in so that she would survive. If you don't eat, you die. And, you know, you guys can read good books and you should. You can listen to the greatest preachers on earth, literally. Just download their sermons. Listen to them and you should. That's great. But that will never replace gathering in this place with this flock, with with someone that that, you know, or not someone, some group of people that have been giving given by God charge and held responsible and accountable for shepherding. you. And you can't divorce and be like, I'm just going to be a TV Christian that 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 that's not. It's not found in scriptures. And so one of our calls as elders, the, the, the highest call actually that we have is to teach and feed the flock. That's why 2 Timothy chapter 24, uh, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Or in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And so, pastor and elders, they wear lots of hats. But what you need from them what what you need from elders what you need from me in particular as the primary pulpit preacher is to feed you the word of god that is my primary job you need me to love 
preach and proclaim the Word of God even when you don't want to hear it. Because all of us don't want to hear it at times. When the Holy Spirit's taking it and He's tap dancing all over our toes, it's not fun to hear, but it's good. He's a good, good Father loving us, changing us, rebuking us. You need me and the current elders not to care so much about numeric growth, though that's happening, but care more about spiritual growth and just let the numerics take care of themselves. And you need us to guard. You need us to guard our lives and you need us to guard our doctrine as a church closely. That's another job of a shepherd. If one is to, um, to, to feed the flock, another is to guard the flock. Right? To guard us doctrinally. And sometimes people will be like, doctrine, why are we always talking about doctrine? We, are, we talk about doctrine too much. Listen to me. You're at church. What do you think we're going to talk about? Right? It's not like we're out on the golf course and I'm talking, it's not like we're at Rogue One and I'm talking about doctrine. We're, we're here. This is what we are to do. First Timothy chapter four. Verse six says this, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Verse 16, keep a close watch on your, on yourself and on the teaching. The word there is the same for doctrine. Persist in this, for so by doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. And so that's one of the things we are to do. We are to guard ourselves. We're to guard our doctrine. And where churches don't guard their doctrine, they're not actually churches. They're just a group of people who get together and maybe say Jesus' name every now and then. And so elders are to feed you. They're to guard you. And that's part of the reason we put resources in your sermon guides. So you can you know, feed yourself and you, you see who, you know, who are good authors and who are, what are good books. And so we'll throw out classics in there a whole lot of time. Old things from Augustine or Athanasius and coming forward, Luther and Calvin and Jonathan Edwards and J.C. Ryle up to today with some of, the, you know, with Piper and, 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 and Keller and all these different people that you can read and be blessed by that will help you. So on the website, we've got recommended reading. Right? Because I don't want you guys just reading anybody. I don't want you out there grabbing some Paula White book or some Kenneth Copeland book or some Joel Osteen book that will air condition your ride to hell. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a long time since I heard that. But there's a lot of good stuff. That's why we put those resources for you because we are to guard you, we're to feed you, we're to shape you, we're to push you. That's what we're to do. That's what elders do. How, how many of you in here hunt? Or have hunted? I figured hands would go up a little higher than that. Being an elder is also being a hunter. Like you are an elder is a hunter. What does he hunt? He hunts wolves. And he doesn't play with them, he kills them. Not, not literally. We just... Get them out of the church. 
you're a hunter, you're a wolf hunter, you're a heresy hunter, you're a bad teaching hunter. You don't hunt dialogue and discussion with people who, you know, have a, have a view different from yours, that have, hold beliefs in contradiction to the Word of God. They're not hunting that. In fact, that's good. It can lead to empathy, it can lead to understanding, it can lead to evangelism. Those are good things. If no one ever had a conversation with Saeed, he would not be a Christian today. So it's good to have conversations. But where there's heresy, where there's false teaching in the church, and elders attack that vigorously. So elders feed and elders guard. Elders also tend. They also tend the flock. John chapter 21 talks about this. By tending, they, they care for. They, they, they look after the sheep. They bandage the sheep. They bandage their wounds. They walk with the sheep through tricky, sticky, difficult situations. Sometimes they pick them up and carry them because they can't walk themselves and they need help. Sometimes tending means discipline because they have a propensity to run off. So you discipline keep them close. And through tending, they elders seek to help the church understand, as C.S. Lewis once put it, that, true, that a true Christian's nostril is to be continually attentive to the inner cesspool. Like we have a propensity so much to just put our gaze outward and think about what's out there and the problems that are out there or the problems in my marriage, it's them, or the problems in my work relationship, it's them. But the true Christian's nostril is always tuned first to the inner cesspool. Like the greatest danger that we face in this room is ourselves and our pride. Thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. That's the golden calf of this age. We so often, you know, just will admit that we're sinners, but just in a generic sense. But we never take the time to think through and truly repent of particular sins. Lord, forgive me of my sins, but we never take the time to, Holy Spirit, search my heart. Show me what's in me. And then take the time to repent for this specific thing. Instead, we'll pray, forgive me on my sins, but man, work on that person. They're the problem. Mm, we're to turn and let the Holy Spirit, you know, do His work in us. We're not to cast stones and blame others, but examine our own hearts. This is what, I mean, it's the whole log versus plank in your eye deal. And your elders are here to help remind you of these things, to feed you, to guard you, to tend you. And to do that personally. Like knowing the flock. Knowing the struggles. Being able to look out over the flock and be like, I can tell these folks are healthy. This person over here maybe needs a little help. We may need to you know, have a little particular care and where someone's struggling or whatnot. You, there's a little extra care given to that person. Depending upon what they need. If they've got a broken leg, you respond one way. If they've got this, you respond another way. But shepherds are to tend. They're to care. They're to love. Every uh, so Christmas is coming up, it's right around the corner. Um, we're going to have a Christmas Eve service, like we always do, five thirty, I think. It's a great time. We just read several scriptures. We do communion. Christmas is actually on a Sunday this year, so we will gather because that's what the church does. We don't forsake the assembling. We don't skip the Sabbath. We try to obey the Ten Commandments. Uh, so we will gather, but we are going to push it back to eleven. And we're not going to have Sunday morning Bible study, just 11 to 12. And it's going to be simple. Piano, Christmas carols, 
short little devotion. You can bring your toys and play with them if you want to. That's fine. As long as you bring John and Chad and I one as well. But, um, but at Christmas, you know, you have a nativity and a lot, of, a lot of you probably have one in your house. And you set it up and whenever you have a nativity, there's always that one little statue that's a shepherd who's got the sheep, you know, on his shoulders. That's an elder. He carries the sheep. He loves the sheep. He feeds the sheep. He takes care of the sheep. He tends the sheep. He loves the sheep. I want to say that one a gazillion times. He loves the flock. He smells like the flock. He's around the sheep. He's with them. That's what elders look like. That's part of what they do. They shepherd. All right? That's number one. Number two, elders exercise oversight in the flock of God. Again, I'm super creative with these points. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So number one, shepherd the flock that is among you. Number two, elders exercise oversight all right, in the flock of God. That's part of what they are called to do. And by, by oversight, we mean leadership. We mean governance. Like if you're going to be able to feed the flock, you need to be able to know how to lead them to green pastures. You need to know how to lead them to water. You need to know how to you know, direct them to where you need to go. That's what exercising oversight is. But we've got to be very careful here. Because what happens in some churches and, and around some uh, elder boards is that they wind up doing a lot of governance, a lot of oversight, but very little shepherding. And fundamentally, first, elders are to shepherd. Like, yes, they have oversight of the church. That's what, it, that's what the Bible says. It's not that members have oversight. It's not that committees have oversight. It's that elders have oversight. This is what elders do. They're leading. They're guiding. They're governing. That's important. But if all they are is just a governing board, then they are not fulfilling their role biblically. They're called to shepherd, love, tend, care for. That's what they're called to do. As we've been studying through this with uh, our advisory council here, this is something we've repeatedly talked about. That at the end of the day, eldering is not just what goes on in that room and what you talk about and setting policies and this, that. Eldering is primarily what goes on outside of that room as you're walking with men and women in their lives, pushing them towards Christ. And that is where it's so important to note the distinction between a shepherd and a cowboy. Elders are to be shepherds, not cowboys. What, what am I talking about here? We just think about how those two groups of people work. Okay, Shepherds are out front of the flock. They're leading the flock and they're exhorting the flock to come this way. And the flock loves them and the flock follows them. And the flock, you know, they take them to good places and the flock trusts them. They know that they've got their best interest at heart. That's shepherding. How do cowboys work? Cowboys aren't out front leading. Cowboys are behind intimidating the herd. 
So they've got horses and they've got whips and they've got cattle prods and they're, you know, they're on cutting horses and I've done some of that stuff. So you, 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 you know, herd and you get behind and you intimidate and the cow starts, you intimidate it and get it to go where you want. That's what a cowboy does. That's not an elder. That's a rogue cowboy. Elders are called to be shepherds who lead and guide with grace and with humility. And they have oversight. Absolutely. Absolutely. They have responsibility for leading the church and in, in including decisions related to, to policies and staff and finances and operations and recommendations for membership. All right, They've got that oversight, but first and foremost, they are to shepherd and love and tend and care for and feed. And so number one, elders shepherd the flock of God. Number two, elders exercise oversight uh, in the flock of God. Number three, elders are to be examples to the flock of God. They're to be Examples. It's not just that they shepherd. It's not just that they exercise oversight, but they are to do this in a particular way, a way that sets an example. So look at first Peter chapter five again. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And so compelled by love for Jesus, who who took upon himself our iniquity, our sins, the penalty that we owe, the wrath of God, God's hatred against sin. He took that upon himself, suffered and died in our place, rose again, giving forgiveness and eternal life to anyone who repent and believe and just receive that free gift of salvation that he offers on the basis of what he did. All right. Compelled by what he did for us. What we just read, this is the how shepherds are to how elders are to shepherd and exercise oversight. This is the how. So let's just kind of walk through these real quick. Elders are to shepherd and oversee, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Like it's not to be a deal where you're like, oh dang, I've got to go shepherd them again. It's something you're to do willingly. Seeking to serve God where He would have you. Even if that's not where you would initially have you. So like I remember when I first began wrestling with the ideas, God called me into ministry. I, rest, uh, I really just kind of took that thought and buried it for a couple of years. And Sarah and I had a fight in college one time about this. She said something about you know, going into ministry. And I was like, I'm never going to do that. Big mistake, yeah. And then a couple of years, I started wrestling with it again, like sincerely, and over a six to nine month period, really fighting that. It wasn't my plan. Didn't want to do it. But I don't do this now out of compulsion. It was something where God took my heart and He massaged that and brought a willingness to do that. And now I have the job, the joy of watching people grow. Of, of, of being there when uh, a saint 
is being celebrated because they are now absent from the body but present with the Lord. And the hope that's there. I have the, jo- I have the joy of getting to watch people go from spiritual death to spiritual life. I have the joy of getting to see people like have that aha moment when they understand the gospel is way more than just entrance into salvation. They start really growing. Uh, those are joyous things that I have now. But it doesn't mean eldering's always peachy. When you get those horrible calls in the middle of the night that no one ever prepared you for and that you drive to that place and you're asking the Lord to do something because you have no idea what to do, what to say. So it's not always like this idea of not under compulsion, but willingly. It's not always like I get that call in the middle of the night. I'm like, yes, thank you, Jesus. I get to go deal with this awful situation. But it's where he has me now. It's what he's called me to now. And because of the love that I have for you, the love that John has for you, the love that Chad has for you, we show up and we engage. So elders are to shepherd and oversee, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not to do it, we're not to do it for shameful gain, but eagerly. All right. So, so scripture is clear that there's a time and a place for um, certain, you know, for, for, for churches to pay some of their shepherds. First Corinthians nine talks about this. First Timothy five talks about this. But if you desire to get rich through the church, three things. One, you're an idiot. <laughs> Two, you're unfit to be an elder. And three, you almost certainly are preaching heresy. Again, go look at Osteen. Look at how much money he has. Go look at Kenneth Copeland. Go look at Paula White. Go look at T.D. Jakes. Go look at Joyce Meyer. Did I call them out? Yeah. Why? Wolves. And I guard you. It doesn't mean every single thing T.D. Jakes has ever said is horrible. It doesn't mean every single thing Joyce Meyer has ever said is horrible. It doesn't mean everything Osteen's ever said is horrible. But on the whole... It's dangerous. So not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Three, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And so do pastors and elders have authority? Absolutely. But they're not to use that authority in a domineering, abusive way. They are to serve as an example. The text that John read earlier, 1 Timothy 4, talks about five, I said four, five in particular ways that... Uh, pastors, elders, overseers, bishops, uh, shepherds are to be an example. They're to be an example in speech. They're to be an example in conduct. They're to be an example in love. They're to be an example in faith. They're to be an example in purity. Now, does that mean that your current elders and those who might become elders someday always get it right? No way. No way. Remember, we while we're called to be under shepherds, underneath the chief shepherd, we're also sheep. Jesus is the chief shepherd, and so we will botch it at times. So what then? Hopefully, hopefully, not always we'll botch this too, but hopefully we would set an example in what repentance looks like, in what asking for forgiveness looks like, in what giving forgiveness looks like. We're to be an example. 
uh, back in the heyday of the NBA, like mid 80s. So I'm dating myself here, but this is back, you know, you had Jordan, you had Magic, you had Bird, you had Ewing, you had uh, Kareem, you had Drexler, you had all these, you know, that was like the heyday of the NBA. And um, Jordan, you know, this is when celebrity endorsements and shoes started really taking place. And so you had the first like Air Jordans in like 82, 83. And they came out with a new version every single year. And yet, you know, if you played basketball and I played basketball, you wanted to get a pair of those and it didn't always work out because, you know, they're expensive. I would ask for them for Christmas. And my parents might pool the money and grandparents and I might could get a pair every now and then. But there was another guy, there were several other people, uh, David Robinson had a shoe, and then there was Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley had the shoe, and there's this whole deal back then, the whole kind of um, slogan of the campaign and trying to, to raise, you know, get people to buy the shoes was, I'm not a role model, right? And there was all, all kinds of, like, hubba-baloo about that, of, how can he say that? He's in a position where kids are looking up to him, and he, he's not a, he's, you know, and he, he is a role model. And so for all the hoopla that went on with, with Barkley around that, he's actually right. He's not to be a role model. We don't set our examples on those people. Who, like, the example in the church that we're to follow, like, that's what elders are supposed to do. Well, look at John and emulate his life. It's what Paul says. Follow me as, as I follow Christ. Now, if John derails, don't follow John. Start following Chad. <laughs> We're not, I mean, even in that, not, not to be of Apollos and Paul. And no, 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 no. Elders in one local church. And we're to set an example. It's what, one of the things we've been called to do. And when elders do this well, when they shepherd and when they exercise oversight and when they set a good example... Verse 4 here. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So, so elders, you know, we, we labor for a crown, a crown that you can't see. And so we lead. And when we lead like this, people are to follow like this. Verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger... All right, and this is kind of a play on word with elders here, talking about younger in the faith in particular. Not, not necessarily in terms of years, but in maturity. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All right, follow them. And then applying this to everyone, the end of verse 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, elders, Young people, all the whole church, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud. And God is against the proud. But gives grace to the humble. So clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. This is one of the key distinguishing marks of how we are to relate to one another. Brothers and sisters, with humility, with grace, a humility that's, that's driven because we realize that we, brought, we bring nothing to the table. All we bring is sin. Any, any, good thing that it, any good thing in our life, Jesus gave that to us. He did that. Any bad thing, that's our part. 
So we, we don't bring anything to the table. We don't deserve anything. We're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper in a minute. What we're celebrating is that in spite of our sin and in spite of what we truly deserve, we've been given love. We've been given grace. And so that humbles us. And so in no way, shape, or form should a believer ever walk with some sort of swagger in front of people because we didn't do anything. We have nothing to brag about except Christ. That's what we brag about. What Jesus has done for us. And walking with this level of humility, even then, Jesus is the one who sets the example for us of this. It's looking at Jesus where we get an example of how to live in humility and how to suffer well, how to love our enemies, even as they spit on us, even as they hit us, even as they whip us, even as they nail us to a metaphorical cross. Jesus is our example of how we overcome temptation. And so humility should mark us all. Elders, congregation, all of us. Verse 5, clearly, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. This is to mark us. The, the Clothe yourselves is literally tie yourselves up with it. Tie yourself up with humility. So hear the words of Philippians 2 and our example of Jesus. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, and here's the example, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So he left the heavens where he had been for all eternity and came to a dusty, poor, Galilean peasant family. Being born in the likeness of men, all right, and then not only that, and being born, being found in human form, humbled himself some more. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, so because of what he's done, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so that day, folks, that day is coming when every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess, but it's not here yet. And so until that day, like you've got a choice. If you're not a believer, you can bow now in love and willingness, or you can bow then in faith. 
force and regret. But until that day, until that day, for us, let us have this mind among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus. Let us do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. Until that day, may we be marked by humility. A humility to die to ourselves and our preferences and our wants and live for another. For one another in particular. Humility is to mark all of us, verse 5. So maybe may we be marked by humility and may we have elders who truly let me pray for us on this who truly shepherd the flock of God that is among them exercising oversight and doing so not under compulsion but willingly as God would have them not for shameful gain but eagerly not domineering over those in their charge, but being examples to the flock. That is what elders are to do. Shepherd, exercise oversight, be examples. Will you pray for those who are your current elders to do that? Because we botch it a lot. And would you pray for those who maybe someday will be vocational elders, or be lay elders? Because they'll probably botch it a lot too. And we need prayer. So let's pray. Father, is, there, is a, there is a weight that, that is there as being an elder, a pastor, overseer, bishop, shepherd. But Father, there's a weight that's there for being just, just, just as a believer. There's a weight. Because we are all called to die to ourselves and live for another. We're all called to serve one another. Fifty-nine times you say in the New Testament, love one another, serve one another, consider one another. Fifty-nine one another's. And so would that mark us? That humility mark us? Jesus is so much more than an example. He's Lord, He's Savior, He's King, He's Redeemer, He's Ruler. He's... But he's, he's not less than an example. He, he still is an example. So we may we be marked as His people by following His example and by speaking with His authority yet still in humility. In Jesus' name, amen.